The Start On Demand. On demand. How was your weekend? For the first time in weeks, we were all able to go out and play with our friends and our families. So we have a chat about that this morning. We're also excited today and this week because we've got a new contest this week. We're going to spend the whole week celebrating Dad. The contest is called Dad Rocks. $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds up for grabs. We'll give it away on Friday. We're going to find a qualifier each day this week. And today's topic that led to our qualifier was to tell us a funny story about a time you made your dad mad. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling, who is off this week, and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Monday, June 14th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is off today and this week, and indeed, the game of Summer Vacation Musical Chairs has begun. Greg is off this week. Jeff Braun is off this week. A variety of people will be filling in for Jeff. we got Ryan Brand for a couple of days, and Cam is off for a couple of days, so Kelly Moore is in for Cam this morning on sports. So uh, is that all clear, Loren? Clear as mud? I, I just said, uh, you know, because I'm working from home, you know, more than a year later, and I, every morning I say good morning to Fortier first um, behind the glass on the board, and I was like, Jeff, Fortier, are you there? Who's there? Is somebody <laughs> there? Because I wasn't sure. You know, we're getting to that great slash frustrating phase of summer where you're not sure who's filling in for who, and that's the way it rolls, and... uh Hopefully we'll all be able to get some time soon and enjoy that time in ways that perhaps we haven't in the past year, Brett. That's right. I mean, I I was contemplating taking off the first week of June and maybe the second week of June, but under the restrictions that we were under, uh, you know, I've already said it before, I think it would have caused me more harm than good to remove the only meaningful human interaction I have, which is at work. But now things have changed. And this weekend, Brett was not a sad panda. Brett was a very happy panda having to, I got to golf twice, Saturday with friends, Sunday with friends. And I've actually got a third round in today with friends uh, coming up right after work. So I am uh, fully recharged. I'm a, I'm a happy, happy guy. Did you see any friends this weekend? Saw some friends, uh, saw some family, and saw a lot of posts on social media of people talking about how they had a fun hangover, not necessarily because they had been, you know, uh, drinking or anything like that, just because that they were like, oh, wow, like it was so great to have a plan and see people that I hadn't seen in a while and be able to see them outdoors um, freely and then make plans for the next day and potentially see someone else. And so, you know, hopefully everyone did it in the way that we're being asked to do it. But but I felt I... One thing that I kept thinking is I had said on Friday I was really looking forward to going for a walk with my friend without walking 40 feet away from her or 15 <laughs> feet away from her or even 10 feet away from her with me on the phone and just the little things. And I found even on Saturday morning that I was still going way over, like way out of my way to stay the proper distance from her. And I kept saying, oh, sorry, I don't know why I'm way over here. I just the habit formed, right, where you stay back from people. And then... Uh, later that day, you know, the, the instinct to count 
You know, like, hey, there's us and there's five people here. We're good. We're two households. And it was, I was annoyed with myself, not because I'm some sort of rule. I've never been a, a rule stickler, Brett, in terms of like, you're not allowed to do that. But all these changes over the past year, I feel like there's going to be these long-term impacts where I maybe don't sit as close as I would have or stand as close. Or I thought I'd, the first thing I do, you know, once this is all over is just hug the heck out of everybody. And now I find myself really reserved, which is not like me at all. On... Well, it was yesterday morning. My dad, Smash Gordon, got his second vaccine. So, And I actually went with him this time, and I made it in because last time he went in the building before I got there, so they wouldn't let me go in, and I had to wait outside. But because I was accompanying him, they allowed me to enter. And it felt weird because they sat him. They said, okay, like once we got through everything, and what a well-oiled... Uh, uh, lean, mean, vaccinating machine. We were in and out of there in 27 minutes, thanks to the huge armada of staff and volunteers who are making that a smooth operation to protect Manitobans. But when they finally sat him down to get his vaccination, they the gentleman said, and I'll get you a chair, sir. And he put it right beside my dad. So we were sitting shoulder to shoulder, which in the before times would not feel weird at all but that's about as close as I've sat to anybody outside of a yeah. golf cart in 16 months. Yeah. And it's so, and you, and you, well, I'm curious, did it feel good? Did it feel right? But because it obviously stood out to you. So there had to have been at least some part where you thought, huh, am I supposed to be doing this? Or what was, what was the reaction? It, it was a bit of both. It felt nice. Like, yeah, I get to sit by my dad and as he's getting his shot. But at the same time, I thought, oh my, like, is this going to feel weird anytime I get into close proximity with, with people yeah. I care about? Uh, like, what's it going to be like when I finally get to shake someone's hand again? Am I going to be, oh, hang, I'm going to have to carry around like a, <laughs> carry a backpack of sanitizer on me so that I sanitize my hands every time I shake someone's hand? I don't know. I think it's just going to be this awkward face for a bit, you know, sort of like that scene in Talladega Nights where he doesn't know what to do with his hands. Like he just keeps <laughs> raising them into the scene of the like the camera frame. Like, I don't know what to do with these hands. Like, Are you okay if I come over here? Like everything's going to come off in that creepy voice. Like, I, can I come closer than six feet? How about how do you feel about five feet? I can't wait for your dating future. Oh, I'm boy. thinking about I'm thinking about a three foot sit. Are you uh, comfortable with that if I'm within three feet? What do you say to a two and a half? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Eyebrows winking? So yeah, it, just it would, it's, it's here second, we are, right? Is second base now considered within three feet? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Home run's not what it used to be, man. That just means you get to sit side by side. So take it easy. Take it easy, everyone. So at 637, we're going to talk more about this. But we'd love to hear from everyone, I think, Brett, in terms of what they did on the weekend, who they saw. I know I saw some texts on Friday from listeners who were going to see maybe their grandkid for the first time. Lots of people had babies that might have been born in the last month. And so there was all sorts of different reunions and encounters being planned or maybe just getting outside without uh, any trepidation. So 780-6868. And we'll chat more about this at 637. And today as well, it is an exciting week because as you might recall, in May, we spent a whole week celebrating Mom. We had a contest to celebrate Mom. We found four qualifiers that week to give away a prize from Namath Diamonds. And guess what? We're doing it again this week for Dad. The contest is called Dad Rocks. And one lucky listener will win a $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds. We'll give the prize away, the grand prize, on Friday. So every day this week, we're going to, our, our fun topic is going to be something about dad, and I think we might just stick to the same questions. We're just going to turn it into, instead of asking about mom, we're going to ask about dad. So you can tell us a story 
right now at 204-780-6868. Tell us a funny story about a time you made dad mad. We want to have a fun conversation about dad as we celebrate dad this week at 204-780-6868. You heard the promo a moment ago. Dad rocks. $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds. We're giving it away on Friday, so we're going to find a qualifier each day this week based on your text messages. And this morning's question, this morning's uh, edict, as it were, your order, send us a story. Tell us a funny story about a time you made your dad mad. So let's go around the horn here. We got Jeff Forte in the control room, Loren McNabb back home, and joined today, filling in for it, Jeff Braun and Cam Poitras, Ryan Brandt. And Kelly Moore. Kelly Moore, why don't we start with you? And good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. McGarry. Many, many years ago, while living in the uh, middle of nowhere, British Columbia, uh, my older brother and I decided uh, we had made this fort out of pine boughs. And for whatever reason, uh, we uh, snuck away to, to go have a cigarette. And my brother decided to light a roll of toilet paper, which <laughs> lit the bone dry Po, uh, pine bough uh, little fort that we built, which then set uh, that part of uh, uh, Mother Nature on fire. So anyway, uh, long story short, my dad was just a tad upset with us <laughs> and thought that he would punish us by making us smoke cigars. When we, <laughs> when we started blowing smoke rings and asked if we could finish them. <laughs> so the punishment probably made him even more angry. Eggs. Uh, that's when the fun started, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, good for you, Kelly. What about you, Ryan Brandt? Uh, well, the term uh, dad rocks is very literal because I should have yelled dad rocks. Um, my dad uh, is a manager of a racetrack in southern Ontario. And a lot of my time growing up was spent, you know, driving around with him and helping him just maintain things and learn some real life experience. So one day I was throwing rocks off of a hill so that we could cut the grass. And my dad, I guess, was at the bottom in this kind of ravine area. And I was throwing rocks at him the whole time. And I didn't know until he ran up the hill to let me have it. So I was very much in the wrong in that situation. I was just hucking a bunch of rocks down a hill at my dad without knowing. How big were the you rocks? You didn't know he was down there, right? Is that what you mean? No, I didn't know. I, I mean, I should have been paying attention. I was blindly kind of <laughs> chucking them behind me without realizing what was going on. How big were the rocks? Some of them were a little under the size of my fist, so I could have really done some damage. Oh, wow. That's yeah. why, yeah, I was very in the wrong. I need to pay attention. <laughs> what about you, Loren? Oh, well, you know, like there's so many stories from growing up in the farm where he tried to teach us things and that resulted in, you know, like when I was learning to drive a stick, I remember actually he was so frustrated with me in the truck that at the stop sign on Main Street, I got out and said, you do it then. And I just walked away. So, we, you know, we've had we've had some moments where we've been teaching each other. But my favorite story is we were doing a trip out west. I want to say we were going to Revelstoke, B.C. at the time. And so we're doing a car trip in the station wagon, mom, dad, four kids. So you can imagine that's a fun trip and also an aggravating trip at times. And my brother was, I want to say 12 or 13, my one brother, and he had super, super stinky feet. And he was sitting in the back part of the station wagon and he kept taking his shoes off and putting them in our face, like my sister and I. And we just kept screaming, Dad, do something, Dad. And so Dad said, you do that one more time, I'm pulling over and you're going to get it, you know, kind of thing. So of course, what does he do one more time? He takes his shoe off and pulls his foot out and sticks it in one of our faces and we scream. Dad pulls over the car, gets out, and I can't remember who yelled, but someone yelled, lock the door, lock the door, lock the door. So we lock the door. 
And then <laughs> Dad's locked outside the car on the Trans Canada, and it starts to rain, and he's yelling at us, and a semi comes by and hits a puddle. And dad is soaked and even more mad at us. And then also we all, even my mom, we all just started laughing. And it was the world's best diffuser. And it's one of our favorite stories to date because we can still picture dad at the window. Like, let me in. Open the door. And we're like, no, nobody's opened that door, man. Like, we're all in trouble. You're so mad now. So, yeah. Splashed and then calmed down. It was a great thing. What about you, Jeff? Oh, there's nothing like a good fight between me and my brother to uh, really get my dad angry. And uh, I guess I was probably around 17 or 18. And uh, my older brother, he's bigger than me or was bigger, still bigger than me. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's got a lot of strength on me. So we're fighting like we're going at it. And like, you know, I'm kind of scared. So I grab a bat to kind of protect myself. I wasn't going to like swing and hit my brother or anything <laughs> like that. But, you know, I got to protect myself. Okay. And so I got the bat and... You know, I kind of push his door open, I dent the door, and he pushes me, and the, the back of the bat goes through the wall, and oh boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. my dad wasn't there at the time, but, you know, when he comes home to see a dented door and uh, a little hole in the, the wall, you know, he's not exactly too happy, and he's uh, he was quite furious, but uh, he, he's yelling at us like, you guys are both fixing this wall, I don't care, yada, yada, yada. He ended up fixing the wall anyhow, so. <laughs> wow. All right. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. Tell us a story, a funny story, about a time you made your mad dad. At 9.15, we will pick the winning text, which will be our first qualifier for Dad Rocks, $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds for Dad. We'll give that away on Friday. Before we introduce our next guest on the subject of snakes, text message from Randy at 204-780-6868. And it's uh, sort of an interesting tie-in here, Loren, because you mentioned that you were on a road trip to Revelstoke, B.C. Well, Revelstoke makes a number of uh, great whiskeys. And Randy sent a text that says, when I was younger... We used to pour water in my dad's whiskey so we wouldn't get caught having a drink out of his bottle. <laughs> but uh, we got caught because the whiskey had too much water in it. So <laughs> I've always wondered about that as a trick because there are some drinks, like I suppose you could get away with it if, if your parent was always mixing that drink. Yeah. But if dad's drinking the whiskey straight, because you could just put it on the rocks, right? I think you would notice right away, would oh, you not? Yeah, you would definitely notice. And even if you're mixing it, you might go, this doesn't taste the way it's supposed to. Right. Uh, and I asked if he remembers what kind of whiskey it was, and Randy says it was Canadian Club. He's 93 years old. He still has one shot at night, <laughs> and he still lives alone. Oh, bless him. So, Love it. Good for you, Randy, and good for your dad. So keep your stories coming. Funny time you made your dad mad. 204-780-6868. We'll find our first qualifier for Dad Rocks at 915. In the meantime, oh, shoot, I meant to cue up that classic clip from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? I don't actually <laughs> mind snakes. I think they're kind of neat. Like sometimes when I go play golf at Minnewasta in Morden, I think it's the 14th hole, 13th or 14th hole. You, you Sometimes you'll see snakes slithering across the fairway. I remember one of my buddies, his reaction was, there is a serpent! There is a serpent on this golf course! It was like a garter snake. It was so tiny and cute. Uh, so I don't know. I think snakes are kind of neat. But I wouldn't want to happen upon one while I'm walking down the block. 
No, and it, I think it just depends on like who you are and how you feel about them and maybe even the kind of snake you're talking about. And so we're talking about this, of course, this morning because Winnipeggers in the Fort Rouge Rouge area, they're still on alert for what sounds like it could be at least eight foot long snake that was spotted over the weekend. And so police first put out this tweet Saturday night saying that they had received calls about this large white reptile spotted on Ebby Avenue, which is in the Grant Park area just off Pemina. So then animal services were called and they did a search, but the snake still has not been found. So Leland Gordon is the CEO of Winnipeg's Animal Services and joins us now. Good morning, Leland. Good morning. Let's just start with the snake. Do we know what kind it appears to be? Any guesses? You know, there's different um, experts saying different things. So we've heard several different types of snakes. So we're not, we, if, until we find it, we're not going to say for sure of what kind of snake it is, uh, just to be safe. Okay, so then because of that, do we have any sense of, you know, with that size, can a snake that's um, known to Manitoba grow to that size or is, or the odds that this is more of a, a pet that ex- escaped? No, this is probably, um, you know, somebody's pet. Uh, just looking at the picture and video that was provided by one of the neighbors who found it. Um, and, you know, you look on social media and you're seeing, you know, people are, are really concerned about this, right? So all the media outlets are playing stories on this. And if you look at the social media, you're seeing everything from, you know, people who are absolutely terrified um some are some of the people are concerned about the welfare of the snake like why is this snake here and hope it gets help and then some people of course think it's funny and you know we had the same issue happen last year you may remember at university of manitoba where there was a a python that was loose for several days and it went everywhere and we never found that snake there was the same public outcry um there was a lot of law enforcement response so unfortunately this is both you know, a public safety issue because there are people, you know, terrified of, of snakes and snakes can bite. Um, but it's also a quality of life issue for exotic animals. And what I'm saying when I mean with that is, you know, I think that the people understand that they want a good quality of life for our dogs, for our cats, you know, but the same thing should really apply for exotics and you know exotics essentially uh, like snakes they, they just live in somebody's home in a terrarium and you know they they really go back and forth and that's their life but what we see in the u of m incident last year and now this incident is that these snakes don't want to do that and they do want to explore and they do want to have a quality of life like that garter snake that you mentioned earlier on the golf course and so ultimately i'm really encouraging people if they're if they're considering getting a pet, you know, stick to the dogs and cats because, you know, snakes like this should be born in a jungle somewhere or in a savanna so they can explore and they can have that quality of life. How often do you get calls for stuff like this? It's very rare. You know, I didn't, I really got passionate about the exotic animal piece when I got this job at Animal Services about 12 years ago. And when I got the job, I got a tour of the facility and I will see the dog kennel. And then I go into this other room and it says exotics. And we actually have a room set up to house stray exotic animals at animal services. And it gets super heated and humidified. And then as I see these animals, we probably deal with about five, five of these cases a year where either they're at large or they've, they've, been, picked, they've been abandoned, let's say, in an apartment building. Um, and when they come in, I just look at them and I see this snake and I go, why are you in Winnipeg? 
And this is your life. You know, they're in our, our terrarium and, and they really just go back and forth and that's their whole life, right? And so over the years, I've gotten passionate going, I really feel these animals should be born in the wild and kept in the wild. And, and we can learn about them by seeing them on TV, on National Geographic, on shows like that. And when we see that, you know, we don't see them living in terrariums in the jungle, right? We see them out and about having fun. So what we see here in this scenario, once again, the same thing that happened last year at the U of M is, People are really concerned. They're scared. We actually had a, a resident call through on one yesterday and won't leave their house because they're so scared of whatever kind of snake this is is going to be in their yard. Um, and then we also see, you know, people out there that are really concerned about this kind of stuff. So, again, you know, um, hope, uh, we do have our teams out. We've gone several times on Saturday. We went, our officers went several times on Sunday. And our animal service officers are going to attend again, yet again today. Lots of resources involved. And hopefully we'll find that snake. And, um, and ultimately, um, you know, if somebody sees it, you know, the messaging that we do have out there with our friends at the Winnipeg Police Service is call 911 because we don't know what kind of snake it is. Hopefully it's non-venomous. Um, you know, in Manitoba, you know, in Winnipeg, we do have laws regarding exotics, but right outside of Winnipeg, the province has no laws, essentially, regarding exotic animals. So people can own a venomous snake, like a pit viper or a cobra. They can own cro- types of crocodiles, huge 20-foot snakes. Um, but luckily, in Winnipeg, we have those laws. But it, it's, a, it's a definitely a, a very significant topic that we hear about rarely. But the issue is definitely is out there. Uh, regarding both the public safety issue and the uh, the quality of life issue associated uh, with owning uh, exotic animals like this. Well, Leland, we're going to have to leave it there. Hopefully we catch that snake and we're able to get him or her onto a to better life. Thanks, Leland. All right. Thank you very much. Leland Gordon. Sorry, Brett. I don't know what I'm just, just jumping in for everybody. I'm going to be Greg and Brett and Forche. Forche, is there any buttons I can push right now? All of them. Say call. All of them? Hit them all? Hit them all, all, Brett. Hit them all. Leland Gordon, CEO of Winnipeg's Animal Services. Don weighing in at 204-780-6868 saying, I don't like snakes. Anything that can move without wings, feet, or fins is pure evil. Whoa, Don. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling's off this week. We're asking you to tell us a funny story about a time you made your dad mad for your chance to be our first qualifier for Dad Rocks. $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds. We're giving that away on Friday. And mine goes back to when I was around 13 years old. We took a Christmas vacation to Florida for two weeks, and we had the, we were fortunate enough uh, to... We knew somebody who was able to set us up. We stayed in this condo for two weeks. That was really nice at uh, Cocoa Beach. and But, of course, because we were stuck together for two weeks straight, we were caught, you know, fighting here and there, and there was a point where my dad and I were fighting, and I thought to myself, you know, uh, the closet upstairs in the bedroom locks from the inside. So if I wanted to say something to my dad, I have an escape plan. I have a panic room in which I can flee. So I got up the stairs as we were yelling at each other, and I said, you know what, Dad? F you. And then I ran as quickly as I could <laughs> to the closet. I slammed it shut and I locked the door. And of course, there was, a, there was the thump, 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 thump coming up the stairs. And then, open this door! Open this door! And I, I don't remember how long I stayed in there. I just sat there laughing. 
Because I thought, hey, I actually I, I got away with this one. I don't remember the punishment, and I don't think my dad even remembers the story. Whenever I bring it up, he says, I don't remember. So clearly it was a bigger deal for me than it was for him. But. <laughs> I love the premeditation that went into that. I had the opposite thing happen. I'll share with it later. But it ended with my brother catching my dad's wrath because I escaped as soon as I did the wrong. I was like, dad's going to be so mad. And I ran and hid. And then the first person he saw was the first person he yelled at. My brother's like, I didn't do anything. And it didn't matter, right? Just yeah. had to yell. Like he was <laughs> sorry about that. I still feel bad about that. McGarry and McNabb Mackling is off this week. Very excited about our next topic, and we'll get into it in a moment. It has to do with Father's Day and dads and men. And, hey, Father's Day contest, Dad Rocks, $500 gift card, Nameth Diamonds. We're giving that away on Friday, and we're looking for a first qualifier today based on your stories at 204-780-6868. About a time, a funny time when you made your dad mad. Kevin says... So back in the 70s, my brother and I played hockey in the front room. We had these miniature sticks, and we used a blanket across some furniture with pillows holding it in place as a net. My dad had just bought our first color TV and one of the first around our neighborhood. We used a marble as our puck. Well, I shot it over the net, square into the middle of the TV. It stone-chipped the TV screen. So whenever my dad watched hockey, he couldn't immediately find the puck because the marble chip was the same size as the puck on the screen. Needless to say, indoor hockey was out, and three months later we now owned two color TVs, and the stone-chipped TV was then on display in the basement. They used a real puck in the house? A marble. It was a marble. Okay, I was trying to figure out what they... Okay, got it. Sorry, I missed that part of the story, and I was like, what on earth were they thinking? But yeah, I mean, listen, even a softball can... Like a nice squishy ball can cause some damage. I'm looking at about 16 dings in our wall right now from hockey sticks, Brett. So (laughs) one on the ceiling, which just doesn't even make sense. (laughs) That could be for me, to be honest. (laughs) Just throwing things around. That's it. I've had it. All right. Uh, so 204-780-6868. Keep those stories coming. We'll find a qualifier at 915. So with Father's Day around the corner, Loren, right now we want to have a conversation about masculinity. Yeah, and the message from our next guest is this, quote, masculinity is a bias. This Father's Day, let's broaden our thinking on what it means to be men. And in that post, you're being encouraged to share stories, photos of men as nurturing, empathetic, pathetic, warm, and open about their feelings. And of course, Brett, the goal is ending toxic masculinity, which we see and talk about uh, throughout society. Our guest is psychologist Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. Good morning, Raymond. Good morning. So you've launched this social media campaign, the hashtag masculinity is a bias, with a number of different thought-provoking messages. So why don't we start with that hashtag? What does it mean to say masculinity is a bias? Well, it means that the way that we look at men and masculinity in our society, is, is, it is based on a bias. We have an expectation of stereotypes of what we expect men and boys to do. And the sad part is that we, we, we're not happy with toxic masculinity, but we don't tend to change our bias about what we expect from men and boys. And so the goal here is to start to sift how we talk about men uh, in our society, particularly, you know, coming up with Father's Day, we don't, we don't share our random images of, you know, a quote, hashtag angry dads, <laughs> or 
uh, you know, uh, the random fishing trip, men are much more complex than that, and we need to start talking about them in the more softer and more nuanced ways to, to kind of end toxic masculinity. Give me some examples of what you mean by that, you know, if I'm out there listening about what I might not see as toxic, because I think that's where it starts, Raymond, right? Like we don't necessarily recognize when we're using language or images or stories or whatever that fall into what might be this category of toxic masculinity. Well, if you think think about the, the traits, uh, the qualities we describe as both ma- masculine and feminine, and the things that are tied to masculinity, you know, are not necess- are all the things that we would tie to being toxic, like strong. You know, let's just talk about that. You know, uh, resilient. And then the softer qualities, you know, like empathic, warm, flexible. Men are those things too, but we, we don't give room for men to have those things. We are doing better in society where we're getting, we're describing women in the more masculine terms when we think about leadership and growth. Um, but we don't do that with men. We don't do the opposite with us. So we've come, uh, we've come some ways in reviewing gender stereotypes for women. We still have a long ways to go, but men are still held to this account where they can't really be human. It's like this stereotype, you know, um, and I, and I don't think we pay attention to what men actually do in society and do we devalue them. And of course that leads to men being unable to talk about their feelings, um, men actually being who they really are. And we don't reward the good things. We tend to reward the stereotypes. And if we look at media all over the place, that's what we see. Well, and on the subject of toxic masculinity, I, mean, I think it's bad for a couple of reasons. One, if a, if a guy acts a certain way because he feels like that's what society expects of him or that's what his buddies expect of him and he's not necessarily being himself, that's bad. But two, you know, one of the, the common things that come out of this whole toxic masculinity thing is that guys will, will mock each other. Uh, you know, like it happens on the golf course all the time. If you come up short on a putt, some guys, some guys will say, oh, way to go, Nancy. Uh, did, you, did you forget your purse? So so the, 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 the negative thing there is that because comparing you to a woman somehow makes you weak. Yes. You know, the, the thing is, Brett, is it's not, it, men do it to each other, but men also get it from their parents. They get it when we're boys. They get it from their partners. Um, there is no room for men to be soft. There's no room for men to be empathic. So we, we expect it of them, but then we don't reward it. And so talking about these examples, and that's where the campaign is asking people to actually share stories in a different light, helps us move the conversation in a different way. So men can be more like regular human beings. We have feelings like anybody else. You know, the presence of a particular gender doesn't remove that, that humanity from us. It's it's an important conversation, too, in the lead-up to Father's Day because of the stereotypes that would then exist in parenting, right? And I can think of when my kids, I would say I'd be out somewhere, and I remember this one woman while I was shopping saying, oh, you must must be having a day off without your kids. And I was like, yep, they're with their dad. Oh, so good of him to babysit them. And I thought, he's not babysitting them. He's taking care of his own kids. But that was, I thought, a generational thing, right, where decades ago it really was – the woman doing more at home. And now that's not the case, but we still find ourselves battling that idea of the roles, not just the roles as men and women, but the parenting roles. Yes. And so one of the things I released today was that men raise children beautifully. And I use a term that's normally ascribed to to women, right? Like beautifully, uh, you know, versus strongly or confidently. No, beautifully. And it isn't just a woman's job. But now, although we have moved towards this idea that men do do those things, they do child rear. 
this thing, we, we, there is an inadequacy that we tie them to that with, you know, like somehow they don't do it well. Oh, dad must have done this, you know. Uh, there's a mess here. Dad didn't do this well. Uh, and that's not the case. I mean, from, from the men in my life and even the men that I work with, men are raising children in a very beautiful way as well, too. So, and that, that goes to the example that, you know, when we finally do give men credit to do certain things, we still expect them to do it in a stereotypical way. And if you go to Instagram at 680CJOB and look at our story, you'll be able to see the message from our guest, masculinity is a bias. Psychologist Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman, we continue our conversation with you now, Raymond. And, and many of the me- you've got a whole bunch of great messages here. And one of them that I wanted to focus on next was uh, men are human. Humans have feelings. Feelings aren't feminine. Why do you think so many guys have a problem expressing their feelings? I think for a very long time, we've associated the expression of emotion with femininity. And so when men express their emotion and and especially vulnerability, uh, they tend to be punished, not rewarded. And that starts to have very grave impacts, not just on their personal mental health, but on the well-being of society overall. Now, when we say men contribute to about 50% of society, well, we need 50% of society to be talking more openly about mental health and their feelings. So what, where do we take that? Like, how, how do we change the conversation so that that happens more often? Because I still think the fallback, I mean, we always hope that the next generation is going to be better than the one that came before it, right? And so the idea about raising yeah. our kids to help them use better terms, but... While we wait for that, we have a whole generation or generations of, of men out there and women who are still struggling with all the gender biases that are, are attached to identity. And so what do we do as adults to change that? Is it like being around the campfire and saying, no, no, like, how are you feeling or getting those conversations going? You know, yeah, the conversation is absolutely it. And I, one of the things is men will actually talk about their feelings when they feel like they have somebody they can trust. So these biases don't actually change reality, right? Like they don't actually change the experience of men. The experience of men is still the same. It's just they don't have a place to talk about it. So, I mean, as a psychologist, I will see, I see, you know, I remember having a, one of my colleagues say, do you just see men? And I'm like, no. And she's like, you know, every person I've seen on your waiting list or on your, in the waiting room has been men. This was like several years ago. I'm like, why well, didn't even pay attention to it? But there is a great need, and the need is certainly there. So the way to fix that is to be mindful of it because men are doing wonderful things, but we need to be able to talk about that because when we talk about it, we're rewarding it. And so when we reward different things, the things that are expressed are the nicer, kinder things. And that's how we shift that story. So being mindful about it and then taking action about it. And and I think, too, a lot of it might just have to do with the reactions one will get, uh, whether it's, you know, from if, if I, as a man, display emotion, I can get from both men and women. Like, I remember I was at... Uh, the, the play for Come From Away, and that's the story of how after, on 9-11, when thousands of people were uh, redirected to Gander, Newfoundland. And uh, it's a wonderful play. It's a great musical. And I was in tears almost the entire time, not because the whole thing was sad. It's a, just a wonderful story. But I was in, I'm, I'm sort of a happy crier, too, so I was in tears because I just couldn't believe the talent on display. And I thought the music was great and the story was great. And then it was sad and it was just this... Roller coaster of emotions that had me in tears almost the whole time. And the, the woman I brought, who was my date, she at one point finally just looked at me and said, 
are you okay? And But really what she was saying was, could you please stop it, you crybaby? And, yeah, and I felt yeah. silly. And that's exactly it. So I'm going to look to women. Women have to take the responsibility in society to be able to, you know, we expect men to be sensitive and caring, but then we don't reward those things. And, and your example, Brett, is a really good one. You know, the, the good thing is that, I mean, we have leaders in society. Brett, I'll look at you and I'll talk about Greg as well, too. Both of you talk a lot more about your emotions more publicly um, and, and mental health as well, too. And when we do that, we shift the narrative. But but even then, we moderate it, right? We, we step it back a little bit. We'll give an example and we'll add bro at the end. You know, we'll give an example and we'll give a manly one. We sandwich it in between our concepts of masculinity. So that allows us to, you know, to be more acceptable. And so let's not sandwich the meat of, of who we are as people and the, the softness of humanity, uh, men included. And let's talk about what men can do really well that we tend to punish them for, I'd say. And then on that, on the flip side of that, though, then, then men have to be aware that when a woman is showing those emotions, because it can come back the other way, too, where, I, you know, I've had it said to me, if you're going to be so emotional all the time, I can't talk to you about these things. And I've had that said to me in the workplace. And I thought, I'm not being emotional. I'm telling you how I feel. So then I need to push back and say, no, sharing my feelings is not a bad thing in any sort of space. And so it just it's just that circular thing. It's a vicious cycle of the assumptions of how one is supposed to act and then how one is supposed to react to that based on what is supposed to be the norm. Well, well Lauren, what you pointed is a very interesting example. When we have women in the workplace and in leadership, we expect them to take on masculine qualities. And that's, that's not what leadership is. That's not what growth is. That's not what work is. Um, so again, we are still review. What we are reviewing here is not really, uh, it is still masculinity. And, and it's this false perception that in order for us to move ahead, we need to be quote unquote masculine. And that's not how we go ahead. There's a lot of research out there talking about how great leadership skills are tied to feminine qualities. What, what I'm trying to say is why don't we just remove the concept of masculine and feminine and just talk about people, you know, because it doesn't matter what our gender is. What matters is, is the experience that we have. And if we talk about that experience, we get further. Raymond, thank you very much for starting this initiative. We, and thanks for talking to us about this this morning as we head towards Father's Day. Very thought-provoking and insightful, as always, sir. Thanks for having me. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman is our guest. And once again, if you want to see one of the images, we have attached it to our 680 CJOB story. And then you can have a look at his profile and see the various other messages that he has been sharing over the past few days. And again, the hashtag masculinity is a bias. If you want to share a story of your own online, make sure you use that hashtag. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is off this week. We are asking you at 204-780-6868 to tell us about a funny time you made your dad mad. For a chance to become our first qualifier for Dad Rocks. $500 gift card. We're giving it away for Namath Diamonds on Friday. And hey, it's just meant to be a lighthearted thing. You know, it's just a time that you can look back on and laugh. Like Daryl, who says, my parents had a backyard pool. I was 18. A day off and relaxing on the lounger. Dad comes home for lunch. He thought it would be a good idea to chuck me in the pool. I said, if he did, I would follow suit. Yes, in his business suit. He was over 6'2 and 240. Well, I got out of the pool, grabbed him, picked him up, and the last thing I heard was, just let me get my dress shoes off. 
happen with one big splash and then my mom yelling my name from inside the house and in he went. <laughs> there are all those stories that you know like are funny years later, right? Or in the moment you know it's going to make your like you intentionally sort of luring your dad upstairs. You knew he was going to get mad, so you knew you could lock yourself in the closet. Like, you know it's going to be bad, but part of you knows it could also be fun. It's such a weird mixture of emotions. Like we used to have this old fishing boat and it was good enough to ski behind, you know, as kids. And so we were putting the boat in the lake in Minnedosa and I can't remember if it was me or my sibling, but we leaned on the windshield and it cracked. Oh no. And right away we're like, oh my God, dad's going to be so mad. Do not. And we're like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Maybe he won't notice kind of thing. Well, then he goes to climb into the boat and leans on the windshield and sits down. And he goes, did I just do that? We're like, oh, dad, what'd you do? <laughs> and we, we kept that quiet for like, so like, I think it was years later where we finally, you know, that old crack in the windshield that you were, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> what was his reaction? He just, well, the, that was, it was funny afterwards, but he was so mad at that moment in, at himself. And how did he do that? He never leans it. How did that, that just happen? That couldn't have just happened just here. And we're in the back, like staring at each other. Do not, do not say anything. Like keep it quiet. <laughs> and, uh, and years later, it's a funny story. Not a dad talking you in the water and <laughs> mad story. And that's the funny thing too. Like I think it's pretty common for for moms, for example, to say just wait until dad gets home. And then you know, so many kids kind of had this healthy fear of their fathers. And I can't tell you how many times where my dad would get home and everything was okay. Yeah. And maybe that was part of the part of the exercise was it was you know just to to make sure that you still respected your parents and had that healthy fear. And to be quite frank, if my parents got mad, and believe me, my dad when he gets mad or got mad. Uh, he would get mad, but more often than not, it was my mom who was was you know laying down the discipline and and being and the one who was would get mad, sure. and she was the one I was actually scared of when it came to discipline. So, well, you make a good point. It kind of goes back to the conversation we just had about toxic masculinity and the idea that you can say, you know, the, the whole like, well, dad's when dad gets home, dad's going to be mad, and you know uh, that we play off that and uh, how. In some ways, you talk about a healthy fear, but in some ways, you know, we should just be, you should be equally fearful in a good way. Respectful, I think, is the word we're aiming for, right? Of both parents. I'm sure I'm not considered the fun parent because I'm always the one with rules. Oh, really? Yeah. I I feel like I should, I should test that theory out, you know, but like the more of the put your shoes away before you do that. Make sure you feed the dog. Okay. You can do that, but make your bed first. (laughs) I feel like I always say it in this voice. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. if you want to weigh in on that. Also, make sure you go to cjob.com for our question of the day. It's brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. With small outdoor gatherings allowed again, how did you spend your weekend? And your options are with friends and family or recreation activities like golf, fishing, etc. Or not much has changed. I'm still not ready. And we've got 71% staying with friends and family, 14% doing that with recreation activities like golf or fishing, and 14% say not much changed, still not ready. We oh, also cast... Yeah. So we also uh, threw that up on Twitter at 680CJOB. But we got a wonderful story, Loren, uh, from Lori. Yeah, well, Lori had texted on Friday just to say that what her plans were for the weekend were to see their new grandson. He was apparently born uh, first, second day of June. And so, of course, with the restrictions, a lot of grandparents would be rushing to the hospital to see that 
baby, you can't do that right now with COVID. And then I couldn't get together because of the restrictions. And then when they eased up to allow some gatherings, I said to Lori this morning, by the way, how did it go? Did you get to see your grandson? And oh, she sent this beautiful photo of grandma and grandpa with the four, looks like four grandkids. And one of them is a very, very, very little baby with a lot of hair. And Lori texted to say, oh my, thank you for asking. Yes, we saw all four grandbabies, 10 hours on Saturday and seven yesterday outside. We are exhausted. I'm now waiting for hubby to get up for our bike ride, but it will be a slow one. Hope you had a great weekend too. So tired for all the right reasons, Brett. And I think that that might end up being a byproduct of this as well as we can see people again is I think I mentioned it early on in April when uh, the golf season opened and suddenly I was with friends and I found the whole thing kind of overwhelming having to carry multiple conversations and see so many people for the first time in a long time. And uh, after having to go back into being a recluse for three weeks, doing it again, like I said, I kind of went through it a little bit again on Saturday. But yeah, the, the the whole family thing, I think, is so great. When you people have been telling us all year long, uh, I so and so had a baby, and I still haven't met this baby, and that just breaks my heart every single time I hear it. Yeah, I'm in that category, and hoping that with a double vaccination and we get that all sorted, that there might be some travel. Out west, I've got a nephew that I haven't met, was born in June last year, and his birthday, his first birthday is come and gone without ever having met him. It's crazy to think. And so hopefully I will be able to um, become the fun aunt really, really soon, Brett, because it's, it's hard to imagine. And that's, you know, and I can't imagine being a grandparent or, or even, you know, someone with that connection where you just want to get there and help out, right? When you want to get there and help your daughter or your son with their newborn baby and you can't. So all sorts of great stories coming in from people and also some great dad stories as well. So keep those coming, 780-6868. Father's Day, it's a great day. Well, do you it, get? Do you have a? Do you do something with Gord? Uh, there was actually one year where I said, "What do you want to do for Father's Day?" And he said, "I just want to be left alone. Just leave me alone." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Okay, I won't see you on Sunday." <laughs> I should tell you, it's my birthday on Friday, and my husband says, "What do you want for your birthday?" And I was like, "The deck to be stained." And then he looks at me, and I was like, "Okay, like the yard to be finished." And he looks at me, and I was like, "The garage finished." And he looks at me, and I was like, "It would be a lot easier if I just said." like a pair of shoes or something. He's like, yes. Just, could you not just, could it not be a gift? I was like, the gift would be the stained deck. And then we just had that stare off again. <laughs> I hope that's, that deck never gets stained. <laughs> I can't say that. I, it's like every time I step outside, I'm angry at it. And then I just turn my back on it and pretend it's not there. <laughs> McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is off this week. We're asking you at 204-780-6868. As part of our Father's Day contest, Dad Rocks, $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds for Dad. We'll give that away on Friday, so we're going to find a qualifier each of the next four days. So we're asking you to tell us a funny story of a time you made your dad mad. We did this last month for Mother's Day. Now we're doing it for Dad. Corey says... I remember I was about 16 years old, and it was Father's Day. My dad had a 1970 blue Plymouth. I was going to surprise him and shine up his car, give it a car wash. At the time, turtle wax was the in thing, so I bought the turtle wax paste and followed the instructions, put it on in circular motions all over his car, wax on, wax off. When I went to shine it up and polish it, 
The circles would not come off. Panicking, I took it to the car wash to try to wash it off. It wouldn't come off. I knew I had to go home and tell my dad. And as I was pulling out of the car wash, I knocked off his driver's side mirror. So now he had a car with no side mirror and full of white circles. He was not impressed. That from Corey. The panic feeling, whether it's mom or dad, that feeling where you're like, okay, I got to fix this before mom sees. I have to fix this before dad sees. Oh, no. I just hid. That's the story I told. I just ran down the lane and hid at the end of the lane, and dad yelled at my other brother. So worked real well for me. 204-780-6868. Keep those stories coming. In the meantime, Lorraine, it is Monday just after 835, which means our weekly visit with who? Yes, Bob Irving and Bob, voice, legendary voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I think pretty soon we're going to be talking Blue Bombers a lot more. How was your weekend? My weekend was great, Loren. And Brett, thanks very much. Yeah, there's going to be a major announcement today we all expect from the Canadian Football League. And it's going to be a red letter day for Canadian Football League fans because after weeks and months of speculation they're going to announce today after a board meeting unless something goes off the rails and i don't think it will that there is going to be a 2021 season it will start on august the 5th the teams will play 14 games under a very heavy covid protocol that will uh, we talk more and more about as time goes along but the announcement today is going to get cfl fans excited and get the nine teams in the league uh, beginning their preparations if they haven't already to play a 2021 season stanley cup playoffs meanwhile montreal canadiens take on the vegas golden knights in the semifinals starting tonight we all know how the habs got to the semis but a lot of canadians i suspect will now be rooting for the canadiens how do you like their chances against the knights i don't like them all that much uh brett i you know they looked really good against the jets no doubt they've won seven playoff games in a row they beat toronto three straight so i don't think we should undersell them especially with Carey price and goal i just think vegas has a a better team a stronger team and a deeper team with also an outstanding goalie and mark andre fleury now uh, i guess to sell the canadian short at this point would be a total mistake but yeah if you ask me who i think will win the series i think the las vegas knights will i think that sort of reality is going to sit in with the Habs, and I know Montreal fans won't like to hear that, but that's the way I view it. And if they prove me wrong, well, good for them. Lots of, uh, Brett, you wanted to bring this up, lots of Manitoba connections on the Las Vegas Knights. Mark Stone, uh, their best player, is from Winnipeg. Uh, Keegan Colasar, Ryan Reeves from Winnipeg. Zach Whitecloud is from Brandon. He's one of their defensemen. And we should take credit for Kelly McCrimmon, their general manager, who's being roundly praised in NHL circles for the job he's done. He's a Saskatchewan native, but he spent many, many years in Brandon, of course, running the Brandon Wheat Kings. And let me also throw in, when we're talking Manitoba Connections in the Stanley Cup playoffs, Barry Trotz, the coach of the New York Islanders, who beat Tampa Bay 2-0 yesterday. He's a good Manitoban. He's from Dauphin. Uh, He coached the Dauphin Kings in the University of Manitoba before he went on to become one of the winningest coaches in the NHL. So, there you go. Lots of great Manitoba hockey bullshit. Oh, Bob, are you still there? Yes. Okay. okay. Nope, that's okay. It just cut out there for a second, and I thought we lost you. You know, you make some good points about the number of Manitobans on the Vegas Golden Knights, and I'm always fascinated when I hear fans say why they might be cheering for another team. Like, for example, with the Habs, people say, well, we want to see a Canadian team win the Cup. 
but there's all sorts of Canadians on all sorts of teams, right? And so when you come down to it, you might have more of a connection, for example, with the with Vegas than you might with the Habs, depending on the Canadian content and local content. Well, everybody's got a different connection, Laura, and you're right. It's I brought up Barry Trotz, who's the coach of the New York Islanders, and I remember a few years ago when I was doing a sports show for a period of time on CJOB, we made arrangements to have Barry Trotz come on the show and he was coaching Nashville at that time, and he was more than happy to do it, and he was a fantastic guest, and he talked about, you know, being from Manitoba and being proud of it. And so I I sort of cheer for the Islanders now because of Barry Trotz and because of that positive experience I had with him. So everybody's got, a, I guess, a different reason for cheering for a team, and, and a lot of it has to do, again, with, with the individuals on the teams. Well, the Islanders have actually been quite a story, I think, through the playoffs. You know, I don't think I've ever ever seen so many people talk about the New York Islanders in this city. Do you think maybe that's partly because of their fans and how raucous they've been? Like just how much fun it's been to see fans in the stands, period, again, but especially theirs. Yeah, it's a team, Brett, that's easy to like. Like they don't have a big star like some of the, most of the teams do. They've just got a bunch of guys who work hard. They have tremendous balance on their forward lines, and of course they have Barry Trotz coaching them, but they're an easy team to like, and they have great history. They won four Stanley Cups in a row many years ago, and you know, again, it's a team that, uh, as I say, you wouldn't. there's nothing about them that would put you off as far as I'm concerned, and they're a bit of an underdog, too. I think most people see them as a bit of an underdog, although they've had two great seasons under Trotz, so yeah, I think those are some of the reasons why a lot of people pull for the Islanders. Can we talk tennis for a second, Bob? Did you catch any of that over the weekend? And we had some listeners saying, I know lots will be made of Federer and other people over the years, but man, the finish yesterday was quite the comeback. Yeah, I'm a big tennis fan. And, you know, for the last 15 years, Loren, give or take, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic have been the big three in men's tennis. And, you know, we're all wondering which one is going to emerge as the greatest of all time. And, of course, that's a debate that will go on for years if not decades but Djokovic was down two sets to love yesterday to Tsitsipas in the final of the French Open and he came back and won it it was his 19th major win he's won behind Nadal and Federer who have each won 20 and two days before Djokovic beat Nadal in the semifinal and it was great stuff I mean the, the Djokovic match with Nadal was outstanding they had one set that you know was unforgettable really and then the comeback yesterday when it looked like he might be down and out. So, yeah, th- those three have been the talk of the men's tennis world for almost two decades. And which is weird because Rafael Nadal is only 35 years old and Djokovic, I think, is 34. Yeah. Well, and, and Federer's 39 and nobody thinks he'll win a major again, but he pulled out of the French Open, even though he won his, I think, his third round match, he pulled out to rest for Wimbledon, which is coming up in in a short while. And that's a surface where Roger Federer has been outstanding. So maybe he's got one more left in him. Hey, I also want to just touch on Tyler Mislachuk, who won this uh, World Triathlon event in Huatalco, Mexico, on the weekend. He's a great Winnipeg guy. His dad's a cameraman for TSN and CBC. He's worked for them for years. This young guy has really emerged as a world-class triathlete, and he has got a great shot at a medal at the Olympics in Japan. And it, it will look awfully good on him if he gets it because he has worked so hard for so many years to become one of the best triathletes in the world. Very cool. 
Bob, before we let you go, are you pumped to finally be talking some football full-time again if things go as they we hope they do at this meeting today with the Board of Governors? Sure I am. Now, it's going to cut into my, uh, you know, my golf game a little bit. <laughs> uh, but my golf game has been going south rapidly, and Brett can relate to that. So it's probably time that I put the golf clubs on hold because, Brett, I'm not getting anywhere at all and maybe return to something that I at least have some competence in, and that's uh, doing football. <laughs> some emphasis, competence. Em- emphasis on some competence. <laughs> the modesty on display by Bob Irving is a sight to behold. Bob, thank you for joining us as always, sir. Very much appreciated. Okay. You bet. I had to turn down the run yesterday. Uh, an invite. I actually got an in, I got a text message from Bob's son, Kyle, saying, hey, we're going golfing. Uh, me and Bob and uh, Ed Tate, do you want to join us tomorrow morning? Uh, and I, I had to decline. And it's very, I, I would not like to decline a, an invite from the Irvings, but... Your social calendar was full. Well, I, I had an important meeting yesterday with my dad. I wanted to be there when he got his second shot at the RBC Convention Center. So I had to say, sorry, boys, in any other circumstance, I'd be there. But Smash Gordon's got to take the cake here. And, Plus, uh, you got your sticker. And I got my sticker, yes. That was actually secretly the reason why I wanted to be there. I just, <laughs> I, when my dad got his sticker, I said, hey, uh, you know, I'm one of those AstraZeneca rebels, and I didn't get, we, we didn't get stickers. Could I, could I have one, please? I feel I- like I feel left out. I get it. I told you I wanted to come up with a name because I'm I'm wa- working on a combo that'll be an Astra Pfizer combo, and I want a sticker that says Astra Pfizer. Yes, that's that's it. That's the slogan right there. That's the one you're gonna you're getting the, the one of my buddies called it the Supervax, but I like uh, Astra Pfizer. Astra Pfizer. I'm gonna get a cape. Yeah, <laughs> that's wonder. You should do that. You should wear a cape to when you get your shot. And then when you come out, hopefully it's a windy day and you can just stand there all heroically in your, in your cape. <laughs> See, I've been astrophized. <laughs> I, I think I tried Zeneker with you and or Astra or none of them worked. Astrophize yeah. is, Astrophize what we, is the one. Yeah. yeah. McGarry McNabb, Mackling is off this week in our next segment, our first qualifier for Dad Rocks. $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds. We'll give that away on Friday, so we're picking a qualifier every morning on the start this week leading up to that. And today we're asking you to tell us a funny story about a time you made Dad mad. And Dwayne says, I was an electric whiz when I was a kid, nine years old. I took, a, took an old phone apart. I put the receiver under my parents' bed and <laughs> I wired up a speaker in my room and to make it worse, I sold tickets to my friends. My dad went nuts, but I was saved by my mom, who pointed out, pretty genius move for a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. It's kind of right there. I did, uh, and he, Dwayne went on to say that uh, he got a dollar from his friend Frank, two from Scott. They are about 13, and uh, then word got out to my dad from my older bro, who was their friends. So I'm not sure what they got to hear. <laughs> But. I think it would just be the idea, the more just the idea as a, a teen, like what, you know, like the mystery of the parents' bedroom, right? Like what goes on in there? And I don't know if, yes, you could hear certain things for sure. You might hear conversations. You might hear a debate. You might hear them talking about you. Like we really got to take get Dwayne, uh, you know, whatever. They would have been, uh, I love it. I love the ingenuity. Yeah, and so Dwayne clearly was on the leading edge of technology. And as we look to what we're talking about now, 
the latest viral trend, the latest techie trend that we're seeing on social media. Like, I don't know about you, Loren, but my social media feed was flooded. It was like a plague of locusts, just posts of people, post after post, who had turned their photos into cartoons that more closely resembled Disney characters. Yeah, I was the same thing. I had a lot of friends and family members doing it, and I was intrigued to consider it myself because there's this app that's out there by Voila, and it takes a your photo, you submit your photo of your face, and then it turns it into a cartoon character. So you can pick a, a 2D cartoon, you can pick a caricature, there's a Renaissance painting that you can go for, or you can get more of that Pixar Disney style, like wide-eyed, like Elsa from Frozen or what have you. And, and so don't get me wrong, it's kind of cool. And if I'm being honest, I said this to you yesterday, Brett, I would love to see my image turned into a rebel like this. In accordance with our laws, only the firstborn may compete for the hand of the fair maiden. Archers, to your mark! Aye, archers, to your mark! And may the lucky arrow find its target. I am Merida, and I'll be shooting for my own hand! What are you doing? That's an angry mum right there. So, of course, I picked the main character who is also a redhead from the movie Brave. That's what I'd hope this app would turn my image into. But I say hope because I'm not going to use it all because of the advice our next guest has given us over the past couple of years. Brett, we're joined now by cybersecurity expert Ritesh Kotek. Good morning. Good morning. So this app, is it cool or concerning? Okay, so when it comes to these types of apps and these filters and leveraging AI to cartoonify or, you know, kind of create like deep fakes, I guess, this all falls under a category we called AI-generated synthetic media. And it speaks to, yeah, it's cool, it's fun, it's great, but there are some concerns when it comes to leveraging this type of, these apps and these technologies. Um, Where's my photo being housed? What type of data is this app collecting on me? These are those types of questions, and until we really know the, the answers to these questions, I like to stay away from using these types of apps, but I can see why they're so intriguing. Um, and I use filters all the time that are built into my phone, so um, I, can see, I can see why people are just trying to get those images out and, and why your social media feeds were flooded over the weekend. What would you say to somebody who might have who might hear that and think, "Oh, come on! Why why do you want to take away my fun? We're just goofing off of this thing and having a little bit of fun. What's the big deal?" That's a good it, it, look. That's that's fair. Like if people are having fun, and you know, Ritesh, why are you telling me I can't have fun? Are you you know are you like the fun police or something? <laughs> um, no. Uh, here, here's the thing: is that what you don't what individuals may not realize is what type of data is this app actually collecting so for example you're uploading your own photo and you're and what if i told you that there's a lot of data that's actually on that photo that you might not realize it's called metadata or exif data Uh, for example what device did you use um potentially an ip address so that gives like a rough area location but if you had your location enabled when that photograph was taken it will actually give you the latitude and longitude in some cases even the altitude of where that photo was taken, and that information gets uploaded to a server, in this case, um, the one run by this organization, and now they got access to that information. So you might use a fake email, fake, uh, fake name, all that type of stuff, uh, you know, tr- thinking that you're protecting yourself, but the second you're uploading an image, if you did not enable 
privacy on when the photograph was taken. Guess what? They actually know who you are, um, where where you live, um, what you do. They got. They might even be able to impose trackers. And that, to me, is concerning because there's no real standard around it. So we don't know at this stage in terms of this. Like, there's no evidence to support that this app is specifically doing anything, you know, untoward with our data. But we don't know. As you said, you like to wait and see where what you can learn about these companies before you are about these apps, before you post an image of your face to them. So is there is there something I should do as a user? Like, is it just about hitting pause before I use it? Or is there a way to protect yourself when you go to use these apps, like things you can do or, or specific images you can use, Ritesh, that might keep you more, you know, quote, safe from anything sure, being will, harvested? Sure. And this will tell you how fun I am. I actually read through <laughs> privacy policies. Um, <laughs> I know it's like watching paint dry. Um, but when I so when, but when you read through them, you actually know where they'll, they'll, they'll make claims of what data they're keeping. Are they sharing it with third parties? So it's, it's good to know. But if you are going to use these apps, you know, just be smart about it. Don't give them access to your entire um, photo, uh, to your entire photo album. Ensure that you have all the privacy-enabled features on. For example, make sure they're not collecting your location. I like to use separate email addresses and always use different passwords for different sites because we have seen um, sites um, and these apps get breached before. And if you're using the same username and password, they might not be encrypting your password. It might be in plain text, and thus you're, you're getting breached. There's so many different elements, but if you are cognizant of the data you're putting up, follow some those basic principles, um, you can use these apps in a safe way and have some fun um, and not be victimized by these types of cyber attacks or privacy breaches. And as I open my phone here at the top of my Facebook, the first post is from somebody who says, I'll be starring in Frozen 4, and they've cartoonified their face. Before we let you go, Ritesh, what does the app developer get out of this? Okay, so if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. So what, they're, what they get out of it is, A, your data. Um, B, there's advertisements that get targeted to you. So if you're using the free version, you're going to be hit with advertisements when these photos are being created. And the third, um, I looked on the app developer's website. They actually have a subscription model as well. I believe, if I remember correctly, it was like $40 a year to have, uh, to have the pro version, so faster processing, removal of apps. So there is a commercial element to this. But the key here, the most valuable part of this, is your data and the ability to then um, commercialize that to advertisers. Ritesh Kodak, cybersecurity expert, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Ritesh, thank you very much for this. We appreciate the insight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And have fun reading uh, those privacy policies. <laughs> I definitely will. Definitely he's, will. He's a smart guy. We, sh- we all should read them. But whenever I, I start scrolling and I go, yeah, whatever, I ag- yes, I agree. Well, uh, I have his number now. I, I don't know if I told you a couple months ago, I actually phoned him when I had the Google Home plane and I was concerned it was listening to me. And I phoned her dash, hey, how's your, how's your Thursday? Is this thing listening to me? Hi, Loren. Why did I give you my cell? Oh, I'm sure our phones are listening. I remember once uh, oh, okay. a friend of mine was over, and I'll just tell this very quickly because I know we got to check weather, but uh, I was telling him about this this thing I had on my wall. It's called Displate. It's just like a sheet of aluminum, but you can get art on it. So I've got this matrix thing on the wall, and I'm telling him about it, and then he opens his Facebook, mm-hmm. and there on his on his Facebook is an ad for Displate. Yeah. He had never even heard of it, but because we were talking about it, 
there it was on his Facebook. Well, Ritesh actually came on that day uh, when I was filling in for Jeff and talked to us about, yeah, in some ways they are, they're storing your data, they're taking it, they're not actively listening per se, but uh, there's an argument to be made that sometimes they are. I got to say, I really do want to see what I'd look like in Disney form. It's very hard for me not to use this one right now. <laughs> McGarry and McNabb mackling is off this week. We are going to name our first qualifier for Dad Rocks, the $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds that we're giving away on Friday. Just like we did all week long leading up to Mother's Day where we celebrated Mom with a variety of topics. We're doing the same thing this week with Dad, and today's topic was tell us a funny story about a time that you made your dad mad. And Chris is today's qualifier with this awesome story. Chris says, back when I was 16 or 17, I borrowed Dad's truck for a night out with my friends. Did not tell my dad the night out was a group of 15 of us in four or five different vehicles playing hide and seek with the vehicles and using eggs to tag the other vehicles as out. It was an awesome time for me and my friends. The rest of the neighborhood didn't regard it as fun like we did, and they called the police. My dad's truck was a big red diesel, and it stood out more than all my friends or their parents' vehicles, and my license plate number had been given to the police. But when I got home around 9.30ish, the police and my dad were waiting in the driveway, and the anger in my dad's face, Loren, was visible from another time zone. Uh, but the story doesn't end there. Chris says, the police brought me into their car, drove me to the street that the, quote, crimes were committed, then maybe get out with a garbage bag and pick up all the litter on the street while they drove behind me at one kilometers per hour with their blue sirens on so the whole neighborhood, so the lights and sirens, so the whole neighborhood was made aware. Ten years later, I was told that the police were going to yell at me, but after talking to my dad, he's the one that came up with the walk of shame punishment. And it didn't end with the cleanup. Chris says my punishment continued for three weeks of hard labor, we had a new yard with no grass, so I had to fill a wheelbarrow a day with stones picked out of dirt. This dad. I'm loving this dad. <laughs> and Chris, thank you so much for telling this story. It's good that you can we can look back on these moments and smile and laugh. We were just uh, going to yell at him, nope, you're going to take him back to the scene. You're going to follow behind him. You're going to play your sirens. And then you're going to bring him back here, and I'm going to punish him some more. <laughs> Ah, isn't that part of the fun of being a parent? You got to hey, punish your kids. This ain't over. Why do you think I hate staining decks so much? Because that was the punishment when we were grounded. You just, you know what? I hope that deck stays unstained long <laughs> enough so that your kids will be old enough for you to punish them just that way. Just make and, them and do it now. Are they old enough to do that? <laughs> Would it look good? No. <laughs> Would moose be covered with stain? Yes. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling is off this week, but McGarry and McNabb are here. And today, congratulations once again to Chris, who is our first qualifier for Dad Rocks. We're giving away that $500 gift certificate for Namath Diamonds on Friday. And the question we asked you today was to tell us a funny story about a time you made Dad mad. And Kristen, one of the other great, many great stories we got this morning, Kristen said, so when I was a teenager... I had my girlfriend's over. We were downstairs in the basement. We had snuck beer in the house. My dad was sleeping because it was late, and we were having a sleepover. He heard the beer bottles clinking as we were taking them out of the fridge in the laundry room. So, of course, he came to the stairs, turned on the lights, started screaming and yelling in his underwear. 
That was just once, but he became known for yelling and screaming and getting mad, waking up when we had friends over yelling at somebody in his underwear. He was known for that. It was hilarious. I'm just picturing Dad at the top. There's just, what is, what's going on there? He's scratching himself, trying to you know wipe the cobwebs out of his eyes. Yeah. I love the attempts by people to get away with things. It reminds me, I remember having a similar story of, of beer in the basement and one fell in the garage and smashed. And you're like, no, we're good. Nobody heard. Nobody heard. But we cleaned it up and put the <laughs> put it right in the garbage like for the world to see. You know, it was like we had no thought of hiding our mistakes. And so dad said, you know, next time you might want to think how you clean things up because <laughs> the broken fragments of the beer bottle are the first thing I saw this morning. <laughs> So use your head, basically. So we're going to have a lot of fun this week celebrating Dad, and we'll find a new topic for you to have some fun with tomorrow morning to become our next qualifier. And on the subject of Dad, in my grubby Transconian mitts, I have a copy of a new book. I'm just flipping the pages. Can you hear that? It's a new book that's out just in time for Father's Day. It's called Dad Up, Longtime Comedian, First-Time Father. Yeah, and it's described as a funny, poignant, and at times unexpectedly wise look at what it means to be a dad in this day and age. The author of Dad Up is Steve Patterson, and he joins us now live. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time. Let's talk about your family first. So there's two girls. Your first daughter is born August 2014. Let's go back to the first child. How much did your life as you know it change when you officially became a dad? Well, um, free time got whittled down, certainly. And, um, you know, my golf game was never good, but it, it got worse after that. I, but the dads that can take off for hours at a time and go golfing after a baby is born, I'm not, I'm not sure how they do that. Uh, but I haven't, the time's gone down, but it's been quality time for the most part. So it's been good. I'll tell you how they do it through heavy, heavy negotiation, because most of my buddies have kids and the amount of negotiation they have to commit and the amount of things they have to commit to to get a few hours of golf. uh, They pay the price. So I guess that's how they do it. They pay the price, Steve. Yeah. And they're probably being out negotiated at every turn because my six year old out negotiates me. So I I can't even imagine negotiating with my wife. That would be crazy. Okay, so you're you now you've got two kids, you're, but you grew up in a big family. Like you, is it five boys? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. I'm the youngest of five by by Irish standards. It's a medium sized family. You know, I'm the result of Catholic birth control. That's what I am. So. <laughs> yeah, and it's all boys too. So that's that's a different dynamic as well. So I'm curious, like as a kid growing up in that size of a family. What did you take away from your dad, like things that you either wanted to copy or not do? I mean, we all said the thing when we're little, when I'm growing up, I'm never going to do that. And then, of course, you have kids and you realize why your parents did it in the first place. Well, I mean, it's been taken out of my hands. Most of the things my dad did were illegal now by these standards. I mean, there was, uh, there was no seatbelts. So, you know, we, if you wanted to settle a traffic dispute, it was really hand-to-hand combat. And that's that's how I grew up. My brothers and I would sort things out by quote unquote play fights and um you know that you can't do that these days you can't you can and i think that i think that parents just disciplined each other's kids they would send them to each other's house and they would be get, get in just as much trouble whereas these days you know you can't you can't do that so 
it's much more subtle, the parenting these days. And it, that, that certainly comes out in the book. The way that my dad did it was, uh, you know, I remember having a play fight with my dad and ending up with a bleeding nose. And that's how I learned. And I, <laughs> I don't think that's going to be an option for me in teaching the, the girls how to take care of themselves, which I will still. I want them to take care of themselves. But I don't think I'm going to be punching any of them in the face for a lesson. <laughs> Now, the book has received a lot of praise, including this comment from broadcast executive Denise Donlin, who says, quote, this book should come with a read before parenting sticker. It won't teach you how not to get punched in the testicles, but you will gain a mother load of hilarious insights into fatherhood that superhero mums everywhere will be grateful you learned. So was that the goal when you you put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard to, to give prospective dads an idea of what they were just about to get themselves into? Well, if I can save just one pair of testicles, Brett, that's what I'm here for. Um, Put that on a T-shirt, Steve. <laughs> yeah, uh, Denise, uh, I, lo- I love Denise. It's very kind of her to say that about the book. And um, it, it's really not meant to be a how-to manual. It's just sharing of the stories that I, how I grew up with it and how it's different between then and now and girls and boys, I think. But, um, you know, I, I did... I like that someone described it as unexpectedly wise. That's good. I think I've set my the sights for, you know, my the people that like my kind of comedy. I've set their their expectations just low enough that anything moderately perhaps common sense can be can be wisdom. So that that's where I'm coming from with this. I'm being I'm being outsmarted at every turn already. My daughters will probably write the next book. So I'm just I'm just trying to get through this time, to be honest with you. Well, they're so clever. Like, I think that's one thing. I, I have two boys and I cannot get over how smart. I mean, I, I don't mean that in my, my boys are so smart kind of way. You know, look at how they can stack blocks or do geometry or something. I mean, they can really figure things out. They, they're quick. They're clever. And you talked about your daughter being able to out-negotiate you. I mean, you, there's there's no preparing yourself for being like, is my four-year-old smarter than me? Like that, that's a moment that happens. <laughs> yeah, it happened for me pretty early. And I don't know where they pick up, you know, some of them, they've used words that I haven't used before. My, my daughter, Scarlett, when she was, I think three, my mom, uh, my, sorry, my mom, my wife was getting her ready for, with her, getting her snowsuit on in the winter. And Scarlett literally said, ah, oh, mom, this is so exasperating. And I'm like, you, you're three. I've never said that. I don't know where that word came from. So I don't know where they come up with it, to be honest. <laughs> now, one of the things that uh, I hope to never tackle uh, is, as you describe it, the, the biohazard that is changing a diaper. So how, I'm curious to know, as someone who's never had to do it, how did that go for you when that suddenly became a part of your day? Like, oh, okay, so I guess I got to do this now. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't take it well. This whole book was going to be about that, and my publisher's like, "No, we can't do, we can't do 250 pages on why changing diapers is gross." Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's something that you sort of never expect yourself doing. And I got, you know, married late and had children late in life, so I, I thought I had escaped it. To be honest with you, when you go through, when you make it through four decades without having to do it, uh, and then all of a sudden you got to do it on a daily basis, it's a real shock to the system. But my wife has explained to me that, you know, especially with our little girls, that you don't want it to seem gross. So I, I've got to go in with heavy sarcasm now every time I do it and just commend them on a, on a great job, even though it's still the grossest thing that I do in my life. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous how much conversation revolves around that sort of topic and how much bathroom and, and you find yourself how many times today? Eight. Oh, good. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Like, Why are we talking about this? But, That's you know, right. one of the right. best... Sorry, Steve, one of the best pieces of advice 
advice I ever received was to laugh. Like even at 3 a.m. when you feel like crying or at midnight or whatever time it is that you've been woken up to try to find a way to laugh. And that's what your life is about as a comedian. So like, does that help make some of those gross moments or those hard moments or those, you know, when your patient is running thin moments easier if you have that sort of natural ability to try to find the the punchline and things? I sure hope so. You know, like all <laughs> like all families, we've been home together with each other, very much like uh, cell, cellmates. Like it's like we did something wrong and we've been incarcerated for over a year now, just uh, staring each other down and circling each other slowly. So um, we we do try to find the, the funny in, in every day. And my daughter likes to make up stories at night that we, you know, the more we can make each other laugh, the better. Uh, and I, I do think it helps, although I, I will say that the, the managing the energy is different, you know, coming home from a tour and then bursting into my baby daughter's room the way I would take to the stage, not as appreciated as I thought it was going to be by my wife. I, I, I never want to see that death stare. Yep, yep, let's wake her up. <laughs> and before we let you go, Steve, another thing we always hear from parents, too, is, oh, it just goes by so fast. It goes by so fast. But you, one of your chapters is called, It Doesn't Go By So Fast. <laughs> Yeah, it goes by in real time. I don't know what those people are talking about. Those are people that their their children are now adults or they don't have children. There's a lot of people who don't have children saying how great it is to have children. And I don't know what their point of reference is, but it's wrong and it's off. And I'd like them to stop lying to the others. <laughs> uh, Steve Patterson is the author of Dad Up, longtime comedian, first-time father. It's a new book. You can get it now just in time for Father's Day. Steve, thank you so much for this. This is great. Thank you for having me. Have a great week out there, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.